0: Six. On 2FN. kicking off the weekend with It is Friday. off you are to the game on? Coming up between now and seven bells, from one CRL legend to another. Ireland ready to Luca Biali who sadly passed away today 58 years young Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan will reflect on Biali's playing career before having a spellbound ahead the magic of the cup this weekend is of course third round time in the FA Cup with some interesting ties to cast our eyes over. Former Ireland rugby star Hannah Tyrrell will be previewing the women's interpro championship that kicks off tomorrow. And if that wasn't enough, former Limerick Gaelic football boss Billy Lee will join us to chat all things management. with The intercounty scene returning this week. The pack hour ahead, as always. If you want to get in touch, well, please do. Drop us a text on five one five five two, or we're also on the tweet machine at Game On Two FM. <laughs> Yes, hello there, good evening. It's a uh, great time for your company in this Friday evening uh, as we look forward to an action-packed weekend of sport. However, uh, we start the show with some sad news uh, today and that is, of course, former Cremonese Sampdoria, Juventus, Chelsea and Italy forward Gianluca Viali has died aged 58 following a lengthy period uh, battling with pancreatic cancer. And... Uh, Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan will be along shortly to chat football and and they will be paying tribute uh, to the great forward. Many people have many different memories of him but a little bit earlier on I had the pleasure uh, to chatting to Liam Brady whose their playing career's just missed out on being teammates at Sampdoria by a couple of months but uh, Liam would have played uh, against Gianluca Vialli in Serie A uh, when Liam moved on and, and Viali was playing for Sampdoria in Juventus and uh, Liam had fond memories of Gianluca Vialli. and I began our conversation by asking Liam about the impact Gianluca Viali had in Sampdoria because he's just renowned there as an absolute icon.
1: He was, uh, you know, one of those up-and-coming young players that Sampdoria were interested in. Uh, they'd bought Roberto Mancini in the time that I was with them, and they were always on the lookout for uh, up-and-coming promising players, and Viali was exactly that. And I happened to go to Inter Milan in 1984, and he arrived at Sampdoria, and he teamed up with Mancini up front, uh, Vialli was the centre forward Mancini was the kind of uh, deep-lying striker behind him and they were unbelievable together and Sampdoria went on to win a league title that, you know, it's a bit like Leicester City winning the league title to be quite honest It was uh, owned by uh, uh, the president Paolo Mantovani and he was determined that he was going to put the club on the map and he had a very good plan. He was going to buy uh, the best young players around in Italy and, and uh, you know, take his time on and, and, uh, trying to achieve uh, winning the league title for Sampdoria, which they've never done before. And uh, he, he did exactly that by buying the likes of Mancini and um, Pietro Verkerwood, who was another great, uh, Italian defender, and then Gianluca Vialli was really the icing on the cake. When he came, everything kind of clicked into place. Uh, he was uh, uh, he was such a, a wonderful player. He was he was very strong, very quick, very committed. Played with his heart, and uh, he had Mancini feeding him, and uh, they were awesome together.
0: Yeah, it seems to be just absolute positivity and, and so many uh, rave reviews that people are, are describing what type of player he was. But even as, as, as a person, you know, I recently read, a, I think it was Gabriel Marcotti, um, who co-authored a, a book with him, who mentioned that if he wasn't a footballer, he would have been a soldier or an architect. That, that kind of really sums up, Liam, his, his determination, his creativity and just the person that he was, just so resilient and bubbly and affectionate.
1: Well, he was from a very wealthy family, and not a lot of people know this. But you know, to go and to, you know, knuckle down and try and be a professional footballer, which is obviously his 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 greatest love, uh, was amazing, really. Because normally, if people are um, are well off, they you know they don't need the hassles of trying to make it at sport and so forth. But Vialli was different. You know, he was from a, we- a very wealthy family. Uh, but he knew how to knuckle down and be professional and and give it his all, and that's exactly what he did. He was turned into a wonderful striker, uh, great success at Sampdoria. Then he went on to Juventus, had won the Champions League. I think he's the last captain of Juventus to win the Champions League, and uh, and then he, he he came to England and and. Even in his later years, was absolutely brilliant in England as as a player and then as a player manager.
0: It's setting the scene in the mid nineties there, because I think a lot of listeners, perhaps from a certain generation, mightn't realise how big a deal firstly the Bosman ruling was, and then also with with these foreign players coming over to the Premier League, the likes of Klinsman, maybe Burkamp, but Luca Vialli, he really, you know, he wanted one of the first people to come over and succeed in England.
1: Well, he embraced it, didn't he? And he he he, he wanted to uh, learn everything about English football. He learned the language very quickly. He he he, he, he began to play golf. I had I had uh, a few occasions when we were on the same golf course together. He loved he loved the game of golf. He he really embraced his life in England and. I think that's what you have to do when you're going to succeed in the country. And he he was just loved by everybody. He was just such a nice guy. Um, And, um, you know, it was great to see him alongside Mancini when they won the Euros a year ago, wasn't it? You know, Mm. to see him. And we kind of knew he was still battling uh, this terrible illness he had. But there he was on the bench uh, celebrating you know, all all the Italian wins they had and eventually go on to win the to win the Euros. Uh, uh, that's my kind of lasting memory of Gianluca.
0: And he booked a trend with, I know kind of in, in Italy, it would be a case of traditionally, I suppose, that if you're starting off in management, you start in, say, Serie C, Serie B, you work your way up. But he was really thrown in at the deep end with Chelsea player-manager. I think it was on a, a Thursday I was reading that he was kind of brought in and and the position was proposed to him by the monday then he had, he had to go and manage a team
1: well in england you could you could that could happen because you didn't have to have qualifications it wasn't necessary in italy you couldn't have done it you know you have to have your coaching badges and so forth and things like that but in england it was a completely different ball game uh, excuse the pun and uh uh you know he I, I think it was Ken Bates was probably the chairman who asked him whether he would like to take over and you know he did the job brilliantly i think he got chelsea a couple of european trophies and an fa cup uh, like absolutely fantastic you know uh, you know for him and yeah, he was such a popular guy uh that uh everyone who met him was like taken with his 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 character his personality he really was a wonderful man
0: yeah no absolutely just i i do want to just tease out uh, briefly Liam before you let you go his role with the national team because uh, going into, and it was ironic almost, we had, we had Toto Scalacci and, and Ray Houghton on the show last night um, and we were chatting about Italia 90 and, and so on. Viali was part of that Italian national side and you know a lot of people would have thought he would have had a huge impact in and Scalacci was a, as a late call-up to uh, the World Cup squad and then obviously he starred for them. D- did he go underappreciated internationally a, a, as a player somewhat?
1: No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Uh... Like he played for Italy 59 times. He scored 16 goals, which is pretty decent uh, from 1985 to 1992. 1990, I suppose, Scalacci stole his thunder. You know, Scalacci was stuck on as a sub. He just scored and he kept scoring. And that could probably kept Vialli out of that team. But uh, no, he went on to prove himself brilliantly for Italy over the over the years, and uh, and certainly at club level, at Sampdoria, Juventus and Chelsea, you know, everybody will be so, so sad because they've lost a giant of the game.
0: An absolute giant of the game is right, Liam Brady paying tribute to Gianluca Vialli and Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan join me now and uh, gents I suppose it's it's just terribly sad news we see the tributes flowing in the Italian Football Federation said Vialli's death left an unfillable void while Chelsea Football Club has said it's an awful day and vowed Vialli's legacy would be forever written at the club while Sampdori, the club so close to his heart paid tribute to their legend saying you gave us so much we gave you so much yes it was love, reciprocal infinite a love that will not die today with you we will continue to love and adore you because despite everything our beautiful season is destined to never end Alan a character uh, a legend and a really nice guy
2: yeah, and that's the one thing that has shone through. I watched so many um, tributes and read so many tributes today, Shane. You obviously had Lame on there, and, and, and the trend, as I say, across the board amongst everybody. And I probably would have looked at him more as Gianluca the footballer as we all did but from hearing all the tributes today and getting a bit more of insight into Gianluca the person that's the one thing that has shun through as I say I listened to Graham Soonis this morning broke down in tears absolutely devastated um, his agent Athol still as well spoke really really well on him and as I say the one thing that came across was just about how much of a nice guy he was and a brilliant person to be around Scott Minto spoke about um, him coming in as the superstar at Chelsea but was so humble amongst that group because they weren't the Chelsea Chelsea. Chelsea as we know now kind of dotted with superstars all around the place he kind of started that off really in that era with Ruud Hullard Gianluca um, Gianfranco Zola those type of players that came in at the start of Chelsea's um, time there so it's just desperately sad 58 years of age then you look at the friendship he had with Mancini the, as the player both of them at Sampdoria and it went on as Liam rightly outlined there in them in, in winning the Euros in, in Wembley into 2020 so it's just so so sad Amanda has been taken obviously so young um, a fabulous footballing career but as I say the one thing that I took from everybody to pay tribute to him today and I'm sure we'll hear plenty more of it is just how much of a great person he was
0: Yeah absolutely absolutely um... He just and he fitted in. It was Scott Minto, you mentioned there. I think he was on chatting to the BBC a bit earlier, and, and he mentioned he came over to Chelsea. Didn't have a word of English, mm. and he was reading. I think like children's books of like the, the cat and the hat. Sat I, in yeah, I heard that. Story. And then within six months, he was fluent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, and just embraced himself amongst the culture as well in the environment, yeah. which is key as well. Uh, I think, and even Lame spoke there about him playing golf, and he just. He just, as I say, immersed himself in that kind of environment that was there at the time in London and and just so likeable. That's the one thing that came across. Everybody um, just seemed to... He had the big broad smile on his face as well. And it's something, like, as I said, I would have kind of only remembered him as the footballer and on the football pitch he was quite tough and, and he had mm. a shaved head and you would think you know he's quite rugged and, and that type of, you wouldn't think he's that type of personality off the pitch maybe but from just hearing the stories today and Graham Soon is a tough man himself and to see him brought to tears just speaking about how, how such a lovely person he was and uh, he filled the room with joy when he was in it and, and to be amongst his company um, it's very very sad Shane
0: Yeah apparently he shaved his head because he thought the hair would grow back stronger initially <laughs> and I get all this information and, and I say this I do want to bring Frago Brown in into the conversation but if you do want to listen to a podcast in Gianluca Vialli there's a two part um, podcast it was recorded in 2019 Galazzo James Rip Richardson, James Horncastle and Gabriel Marcotti, the totally Italian football show and it goes through Viali's whole career, growing up in Cremonese and and um, the Seven Dwarves were a, a card club he played with on Thursday nights in Sampdoria and that's how he really became known as an icon in in, in that in that time um, but he was also at one stage a, a world, he held a, the world record for the, the highest transfer when he went from Sam to, to Juventus but Fergal if I bring you into the conversation on, on his time at Chelsea and how he just as, as Alan mentioned there he just he fitted in seamlessly and I, I spoke to Liam as well it was really at that start of the Premier League when there weren't many foreigners coming into the, the Premier League but he was one of the first and he's just such a seamless transition
3: It was and I think when you look at that Premier League era as you say the, the idea of European players and, and slightly further afield coming into the Premier League, we we associate a lot with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger and the changes that he implemented. But Chelsea with Vialli, Di Matteo Zola, they they were a big part of that as well. And he, as a player as a person, he, he's obviously had an enormous impact on a huge amount of people. And I'd agree with Alan this idea that sometimes when something like this happens and it is very sad news, the the statements and the comments can can sound a little bit pre-prepared and a little bit scripted, that just isn't the case with uh, with Gianluca Vialli. You're seeing people that were genuinely close to him. He was a friend. He was more than just a teammate for a lot of these um, former pros that have been speaking. Souness is obviously a big example of that. And it's very, very difficult. Always in these situations, there is positive, set, positive things said about an individual. But... Nothing today Feels like Someone's been forced To to give a line Or give a Kind of buzzword About Gianluca Vialli Everything feels Very very um, Heartfelt And I was Actually writing a piece This morning Kind of trying to draw the dots together of of Souness and the connection with um, with Vialli and it was actually the 1985 Coppa Italia final the first ever major title that Sampdoria won they beat Milan who obviously were dominant at that time Mancini, Vialli and Souness all scored in the final so that connection between the three of them it goes a long long way back
0: that's brilliant. That's brilliant. As Liam described there as well, when Sampdoria, putting it into perspective, I suppose, for our listeners, Sampdoria winning Serie A back in the early 90s is akin to, to Leicester lifting the Premier League. No one really thought they would. Um, so, yeah, an absolute. And, and you mentioned Di Matteo and Zola. I actually, when I was a, a younger boy, I won't reveal my age, but I, I actually got went over to see Chelsea train. And I vividly remember Ray Wilkins, um, Zola, Viali. Um, Michael Dubry I think it was, were just so mm. accommodating with their time and signed whatever I got. I think I got a signed football at the time or whatever it was. But Ray Wilkins actually particular as well. Um, another absolute gentleman and yeah, a real. It's, a it's real interesting nice.
2: you bring up his name because the the outcry that we've saw today, kind of and the emotion amongst everybody and their tributes. It was something similar with Ray Wilkins. Yeah. And they were the best of friends, Ray Wilkins and Viali, in that kind of time as well. And everybody spoke glowingly of the person that he was also. Um it's funny you bring that up, Shane Yak, yeah, and, and I well believe it because I had heard that from many people. Mm. And it's something similar today when you see, as I say, uh, Fergal's right, and there was nothing preempted or prescripted about about people's heartfelt emotion today. They were genuinely upset. Um Antonio Conte as well as assistant manager spoke like brought to tears, like it's real emotional. And so young as well, that's that's the tough the tough thing yeah. to take as well. But the legacy that he's left and the impact, I suppose, the the lovely impact that he's had on people will live long in the memory.
0: Yeah, a horrible disease and a very sad way to go. Gianluca Vialli, an absolute legend uh, of the game. So I suppose from magic players like Gianluca Vialli, um, very difficult to segue to, to, into football chat, but there is uh, the FA Cup uh, this weekend, gentlemen. Um, is it still? Is, is it no. magical? Do you, no, you're not having it. Alan?
2: Well, not in England, I don't no. think. No. Uh, it is for us, Shane. For us, there, yeah. Absolutely.
0: But, <laughs> Fergal, do you, do you still
3: revel in the magic of the cup? No, I'd be no, a ah, lads. cynical like Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still a big thing, and, and particularly the third round, because it's when the big boys come in, but no, I mean, the, <laughs> the glamour of it and, and the prestige of it, when you compare it against the, the Premier League and the Champions League, no. It's, it's, not a, it's not a nothing. It's not a, you know, a Tim Pot trophy or anything like that. It, it's still holds value and particularly if you're, you're a fan of a team that doesn't get to the latter round or go on and win it obviously it is big um, but I think the the cold hard reality for the big sides is a bonus it's not a priority
2: and that's not to say Shane that I'm happy about the way it's gone mm. I absolutely love the FA Cup it was all my early memories growing up as a kid was FA Cup on, on Saturday and Grandstand and all those things and the FA Cup finals that we all watched as kids growing up so I'm not happy about the way it's gone but the question he asked about how, does it still yeah. have the magic no, sadly it doesn't.
0: Well, the lens of senior comes back first time in about five years. But so, However, <laughs> that's for another conversation. Well, listen, uh, I tell you one manager that wouldn't scoff at winning a trophy considering their uh, is it a bit of resurgent form is Eric Den Haag and Manchester United, Alan. I was actually over at Old Trafford uh, at the start of the week yeah, when they played Bournemouth and they were good. Bournemouth were very poor so it's kind of difficult to read into to where they're at. Um, Jack Butland is there uh, has been their January signing so far backup goalkeeper. But uh, like is this a competition and a cup that they would be aiming for because they're not title challengers yet
2: no absolutely Um, and he's doing a really good job Shane like we spoke just prior to coming on air about obviously a rover as well and it is hard to gauge in terms of you you mentioned Bournemouth being poor and you look around some of the other teams around the Premier League are quite average but in terms of the job if you just focus on him and and isolate it just at Ten Hag and what he's done at Man United since coming in and what he inherited I think he's done a very very good job nobody would dispute that but in terms of maybe pushing it on to the title challenge as of yet I still think even though you look at the league table I think they're only 9 points off I still think there's a larger gap in terms of the football side of things um, What's for, missing?
0: Is it a striker? Is it that th- easy?
2: I just think it takes time Shane yeah. I just think it takes time he's come in uh, he's going to need time to rebuild he's doing a very good job in rebuilding but I still think it's very much in its infancy at the early stages and I think if he just takes along uh, consistently the way he's going at the moment I think it may only take eighteen months, a couple of years, another maybe a couple of transfer windows. I don't think they're a million miles off, but I do think there's still quite a gap amongst maybe the likes of uh, Man City at the moment. I know Liverpool have fallen away a bit, but if you compare it to maybe when Arteta came in, and it's only taken him a couple of years, and, and would you, you you'd. I, you look at them as very much realistic title challengers at the moment mm. I don't see why Man United couldn't recreate that in maybe 18 months so I think overall he's doing a very very good job in terms of the FA Cup itself he absolutely will advise on this because this is very much a competition that on any given day with the way they're playing at the moment and the job that he's doing they're capable of beating anyone and I think it's a realistic chance for them to get some silverware
0: Yeah, I started the conversation with Manchester United because that is of course the first FA Cup tie of the weekend this evening they take on Everton and for Everton uh, Fergal is is Frank Lampard on stolen time now never mind borrowed time
3: yeah I think is, is the short <laughs> answer uh, I've been speaking to a couple of colleagues obviously based here in Liverpool that have been covering his press conferences uh, since they've come back after the World Cup break and he himself looks a beaten man um, and I just think the situation that Everton find themselves in a portion of blame has to go to Lampard but I would say the majority of the blame has to be spread elsewhere throughout the club. And that is genuinely the feeling um, amongst the Everton supporter base. I think Frank Lampard has obviously got quite a lot of stock in the bank based on last season that they got out of a pretty desperate situation that they were in. Obviously, you can kind of look with hindsight and say, was he the right manager? Were they ever really in massive, massive danger? Could another manager have have got them out of it? Um, But unfortunately, as has been the case with Everton for a long time, it's probably going to be the manager that pays with his job. Um, I think he's done an okay job without really doing much better than that. But I just think issues at the club that run really, really deep um, are out of his control. And and that's going to be the case whether he gets sacked this weekend, whether he lasts a little bit longer, maybe even if he lasts to the end of the month. But I I really think he's in a very, very difficult spot because it's hard to see how they, they turn these things around. The Man City draw on New Year's Eve was a little spark of positivity they go to the Etihad they get a point Damari Gray bangs in an incredible goal and they were awful I covered the game against Brighton um, a few days ago and they were terrible there was no intensity there was no organisation and that is going to be an issue if they lose tonight they'll be out of the FA Cup they're already out of the League Cup and it's just a slog between now and the end of the season and Everton fans are gearing themselves up for that um, but I think ultimately Lampard is he's on his way out I think it's just a case of when He's probably being blessed Alan that the fans probably are more
0: frustrated as yeah. as Fergal alluded to there with the, the whole package of Everton and the ownership and everything else that's going with and yes Frank Lampard will probably eventually lose his job and he'll have to pay the price for larger issues
2: Yeah I think uh, you're right Shane when you say that that he probably is a little bit fortunate in that regard but it will still fall down on him the responsibility he will lose his job I think if it carries on the way it's going at the moment and he is hanging on by a thread but I think from the fans point of view and as Fergal rightly outlines there's bigger issues going on that unfortunately he's kind of fallen in for as well Lampard as a result of what's I suppose the mismanagement that has gone on I think it's six managers now that have had under this under this ownership and um, so that tells you all you need to know like there's five previous managers who found it very difficult to get it right under this regime as well so Lampard is no different but I just think for his own kind of personal career though in moving forward obviously he lose the Chelsea job and Tuchel comes in and does so well and it makes his job look as if it wasn't great mm-hmm. Lampard's side then obviously he goes to a club now and if if he's kind of presiding over a relegation from the Premier League for Everton who have never been relegated um, I don't think it looks good for him going forward and and. Fergal's right about the game during the week Brighton I know from our point of view you're looking at Evan Ferguson and how good he was and Brighton and all but I think I've seen the stat in terms of what Brighton's team cost compares to I think Alex Awobi and it was less than what they paid for Alex Awobi, which tells you all you need to know about the regime and the mismanagement that has gone on but ultimately it comes down to the manager at the helm and he will lose his job
0: Yeah, absolutely. Brighton you mentioned there uh, in action. 3pm Saturday, Middlesbrough away, hopefully more Evan Ferguson magic there. But I do want to chat about Manchester City and Chelsea. uh, Fergal, Uh, they obviously played in the league. Uh, Manchester City, uh, underwhelming 1-0 victory. Both sides will probably rest some players, but in saying that, if Chelsea rests any players, I think they're going to be playing about 14-year-olds.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was a strange game last night and a very strange goal to win it. I've watched, I've watched the replay back. I don't know how many times with uh, the the Grealish pass into Riyad Mahrez and and I just don't understand what Kepper, the, the Chelsea goalkeeper, is doing. Um, but I, I think you're right. Obviously, Chelsea's injury situation: Sterling and Pulisic both going off pretty much inside the first half an hour last night and they were really having to dig deep to to bring players on off the bench and and that was seen with the amount of young players, teenagers, academy stars that were on the pitch when, when the final whistle was blown and I unfortunately think that is going to be the situation because the injuries keep mounting up and the new players that they've brought in Graham Potter also knows that the Premier League is the priority for them. He doesn't want to rush these players into an FA Cup game if they've only got a couple of days of training. Um, Badishele, who they've just signed, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he adapts and, and performs for them. But it's a difficult one because he he's under a bit of pressure himself because they haven't performed since he's come in. And this was meant to be the big chance for Graham Potter to prove that he could manage a Champions League level team. And it hasn't really gone to plan so far. I'd fancy City to win again twice in the, a matter of days, um, and that would just put more pressure on Graham Potter at Chelsea.
0: Alan, we were chatting yesterday on Gaelic football and trying to describe the Kerry Club Football Championship, and I described it like trying to discover what the third secret of Fatima is. Is it the same level of difficulty, difficulty I should say, trying to discover what Graham Potter's Chelsea are?
2: Yeah, but in fairness to Graham Potter, it's gonna take time as well. He's obviously been hampered massively by the injuries, uh particularly the likes of Reese James, Chilwell. They'll be all in his thinking uh, going forward and for the future. So, like as I say, Cante as well has been out long term, Mason Mount picked up one last night, Sterling goes off early, Pulisic. They're all players who, I suppose, in Graham Potter's mind would definitely be in his first eleven uh, potentially and obviously he can add in some quality onto that. But but to be fair to Graham Potter, when he came in it was very much a club in transition in mm-hmm. terms of it's going to take time as well and I think Fergal's right when he says that this was his big opportunity at a big club I was delighted to see him get, a, get the opportunity I think he's earned it I think he deserves it but he's not a miracle worker either Shane and it's going to take a bit of time at that club and obviously trying to get his feet under the table then you have the World Cup break the amount of players that went off from Chelsea and they're only coming back um, so it is going to take time under the previous regime no manager got time I think under Todd Bowley I think they were very much of the understanding that when Graham Potter come in they're trying to build for the future with younger players with new players you see that with Badashili, a seven year contract they offered him I've never seen a player get a seven year contract in my life it's the first time I've ever seen it so they're trying to nail down a lot of these young lads and build for the future if the results carry on and we all hear the phrase it's a results orientated business and in terms of the Chelsea fans who are used to maybe winning will they turn on Potter as well uh, the longer it goes on possibly but I think he has to be given the time Shane you're either buying into that project with him and you can't judge him after three or four months I know it looks pretty bleak at the moment in the run they're on I thought they were very good all things considered in the first half last night they should have scored when they hit the post and it should have been 1-0 up Man City obviously um upped it in the second half and then they're bringing off you're you're taking off Foden and Bernardo Silva and you're bringing on Grealish and Riyad Mahrez like it's incredible uh, the quality that they have and of course they go on and, and, and win the game Man City um, but I think overall if you look at the, the bigger picture in terms of Graham Potter and all that he's done at Brighton you can't be judging him off, off three or four months at Chelsea
0: yeah, this is true. Um, but, you know, Alan Pardew once signed an eight-year contract as Newcastle manager, my uh, learned uh, producer, I, yeah, Damien, and he was coming in two, I two years. i never heard of it as a player. I, like, I
2: think it's bonkers. Seven years for a player. I'm no, mad. it
0: is. But it's a different... I think they signed Andre Santos as well, a uh, young Brazilian as well. So it's maybe a different different tact uh, they're going with and all these young players. It was Hutchinson and Hall that came on, their combined age. And he age. was
2: very good. Lewis they, Hall, very good when he came on. Yeah,
0: I think their combined age was six months off Silva or something along those lines. I don't <laughs> that says a lot Um, I do want to move on Liverpool Wolves 8pm uh, tomorrow evening is Cody Gakpo enough to I suppose instil a bit of uh,
3: consistency in Liverpool's form of late Fergal that's what Jurgen Klopp will be hoping for. I uh, covered his press conference this morning, and I'll be I'll be covering this game tomorrow night. Fully expect him to play. I think there's been a bit of a delay over his, his paperwork. Klopp wasn't too happy about that because he, he wanted him at least in the squad to uh, to play against Brentford on on the second. He probably will play tomorrow. Um, Klopp normally plays his cards close to his chest on these things, and. I'm really looking forward to seeing him I have to be very honest and say I only watched bits and pieces of him um, before he moved from from PSV Eindhoven but during the World Cup I know sometimes we're we're looking at it through rose-tinted glasses because it's the World Cup and the excitement that surrounds that but I looked at him and thought he is an absolute Liverpool player the way that he the positions he looks to take up the goals that he scores the runs that he makes I think I think Jurgen Klopp was actually watching that and thinking if I could kind of replicate what I want from a forward player that's it and Liverpool fans are excited by him um, it's not been a great return after the World Cup for them they've obviously been fairly inconsistent to, to steal that word that you used um, but they will I would be confident they'll get through on this. Julian Lopetegui's been good so far at Wolves. I think he's benefited from having a bit of time over the World Cup to to work with the majority of his players. And I think they'll be okay in the Premier League. But at home, at Anfield, I'd, I'd expect Liverpool to be okay. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Gakpo. And um, think back to this time last year when Luis Diaz signed and it was a case of, you know, will he adjust quickly? Will he need a few weeks? And it was just bang. He was... Fantastic for them. Um, this could be Gakpo's Luis Diaz moment now.
0: Alan, are you expecting bang or are you expecting newness?
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm expecting a bit of both, to be honest with you. Uh, whatever that amounts to to yeah. be honest with <laughs> you. A, a less powerful uh, bang. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I covered a couple of the games for the Netherlands in the World Cup and even though he, he had a good World Cup in terms of his goals return I was a bit underwhelmed by him because there was a lot of hype and you're obviously looking at these players who there's a lot of hype about potentially moving to the Premier League and I wasn't blown away by him but I think he still will be a good signing for Liverpool and I think what he'll offer um, and, and it's the one thing that Liverpool have had over the last two seasons would have been so successful is goals off players playing either wide right or wide left and that's where he played for the Netherlands and um, whereas you, you, I think he'll back up the likes of Nunes playing through the middle, he might play off the left and obviously have Sal off the right as well um, and I think in the forward line they're very very well prepped, I just think their problems are elsewhere midfield, mm-hmm. defensively, you look at Van Dyke is obviously going to be out for a month now but he's been really struggling in his form regardless of the injury, I think Trent is a major liability defensively, you look at the goals to conceded in the last even just couple of weeks against Brentford and his def- his position defensively and this is this has been a problem for a long time with him as well um, and they're just low in confidence as well well Shane so I do think they'll get through I agree with Fergal but I don't think it'll be as easy
0: as what people maybe Liverpool of a year ago would have blown wolves away I do want to finish up very very briefly on Hull City versus Fulham why you might ask well because Brighton have confirmed that Aaron Connolly has joined Hull Hull City on loan until the end of the season the 22 year old had been on loan at the Serie B club Venezia who cut the deal short we're all hoping this is going to kick start Aaron Connolly's career we've said it time and time again but hopefully this is the one Alan
2: yeah because you're running out of chances and opportunities and and you don't want to have a tag where you're going on loan and then you're going on another loan to another club because maybe it doesn't work out for you in a certain place I think the fact that he's back in people's view in people's mind obviously he's out of sight out of mind at Venezia unless he's banging in goals or something Mm. we're reading about but the fact that he's back in people's kind of mindset here uh, because obviously signing for Hull City now I think it does give him an opportunity and at some stage Shane the penny has to drop it's over to him now to produce um,
0: because you'll run out of chances fairly quickly Absolutely FA Cup this weekend the magic of the cup Fergal Brennan Alan Colley thank you both very very much really appreciate that from Association of Football to Gaelic Football Billy Lee will be joining us next RTE 2FM
2: The thing I love about sport is when someone rewrites the rules, like Haaland scoring a massive three hat tricks in three home games.
0: Hat trick, hat-trick, hat-trick! Or Tom Brady breaking
4: pretty much every NFL record going.
2: Unbelievable! Or how about Johnny Sexton just
0: well just being Johnny Sexton? Over again for
5: Leicester. It's moments like these that I want to be able to say, I saw it happen.
0: Stream the sports you love with the Now Sports Day membership. Search nowtv.com. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Terms
4: apply. If you're about to use an electrical appliance, like your washing machine, which uses a lot of energy, just ask the question, is this a good time?
1: Ah yeah, it's fairly
0: breezy out. You're good to go.
4: If it's windy out, it is a good time, because wind generates renewable energy which Ireland will be relying on more and more. To find out the best times for your electricity usage, sign up to our pilot at esbnetworks.ie slash pilot.
3: Welcome to the Rosique Hotel.
4: Hello. We're a little early, but thought we might take a dip in the pool before we check in.
3: Of course, let me look that up. Sorry, Mrs Cook, but it looks like your stay isn't for another five months.
4: Yes, that's right. Like getting your money's worth?
3: Enjoy a freshly prepared
2: cheeseburger. Just 1 euro seventy. Part of the McDonald's Eurosaver menu. Attention, please
4: proceed to gain 2 FM for boarding. Stick on the shade. Because the sunshine's coming. The Dewey Holiday A Day giveaway is back. We've got an incredible, thirsty Dewey holiday all for grabs. There's chances to win every single day. Day Day giveaway. Check out DeweyHolidays.ie, the Sunday World and 2FM.ie for more. Live happy with Dewey and Orsi 2FM. Game on. Gaelic football.
0: Hey, very welcome back to Game On. Thank you very much for spending your Friday evening with us because former Limerick football banished door and now Kerry club side, Austin Stacks boss Billy Lee joins me now to chat all things Gaelic football management and the return of inter-county football. Billy, thank you very much for joining us. Belated. Happy New Year. How are you, sir?
5: Uh, all
0: good, all good. Happy New Year, too. Oh, good, good. Now, listen. Before we chat inter-county football, you're back in management, back in Kerry after, of course, having previously coached uh, Stacks in 2016, and more recently you were part of the uh, Field Rangers management team that oversaw a shock quarter-final win over the Rockies, of course, in uh, this year's Kerry Championship. So, what has brought you back to uh, Austin Stacks now as the main man? Well, I suppose look, um,
5: we finished up with Field Rangers, I suppose mid-October took a break in through November I suppose it's a long time since I had a break um, my uncle was off in Australia you know he went back and just kind of felt to look um, it's part of my life you kind of recognise when you step away when you're trying to think and you assess things you kind of realise the you know that it's nearly an integral part of all our lives those of us that are involved in injury across the country and um, I suppose it's like anything else you want to take on the challenge and, and test yourself and um I suppose, look. I felt I knew the club from being there before. Knew the people, um, knew the players. So, um, so to speak, you had some knowledge of, of the history of the club. You know the people involved in the club and what it means. So, um, so I said, look, we we have a go with it and um, see how it goes from there. A heavyweight of Kerry Club football,
0: however, playing intermediate football at the moment. So Stacks won the 2021 County Championship and followed it up with a Munster Club title, but fell through the trap door after losing uh, a relegation play of the Kenmare Sh- Kenmar- Sharmaks, I should say, in October. So I'm assuming primary goal, restore senior status?
5: Oh, I would think so. I think you, you can't. You can't shy away from from what the challenge is. You've just got to embrace it and drive at it. And, um, you know, it is a... Uh, the intermediate level, and Kerry to put in context, you've three clubs down there who've, who are former um, All Island clubs, seen a and one who've lost in the final. So it gives you context of how competitive it is. So, you know, you know when you're trying to stay at a level, you can afford to lose, uh, win just one game, and, and it probably keeps you there. If you, but as you're down the next level and trying to get you have to probably win every game, uh, maybe one. So it, it's, it's that more challenging. But look, there's plenty of talent within the club. They've proven that over the last number of years. You know, plenty of titles won a club and um, seen a county and won the club over the years. You know, so look, it's um, we just got to work and work with the lads and, and um, put our best foot forward and um, try and time it right. And it's a fierce competitive um, competition. You know.
0: It certainly is. Well, I wish you all the very best uh, with that. You mentioned you had a short break and you hadn't had one in a while and that's very, very true because you called time on a six-year, largely a successful reign uh, last August uh, with the Limerick senior footballer. So how will you feel now that inter-county football's back? How will you feel watching Limerick and watching the inter-county season as a whole from the outside now?
5: Well, I look forward to it, you know. Um, I was in McNeville Park on, on Wednesday night, you know, Um to see the match against Waterford and ironically, just to get to the game for seven o'clock was a challenge from where I my walk, you know. So I suppose if, if I ever I thought about did I make the right decision, I'm absolutely one of us something I did because even trying to try and get there to attend the game was was proving challenging. But we got there anyway. Um, so I look, I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing the lads um, challenge themselves in under and trying to put their best foot forward as they always is um, over the last number of years. Um, resilient bones, great bones. So I look. I'm very much a, a supporter and uh, fully behind him and behind the management team and hopefully you know we can be competitive with Division 2 and, and see what that lends us.
0: It will be an interesting campaign ahead indeed for Ray and, and the Limerick footballers comfortable 17 point win over uh, has to be said a very experimental Waterford side uh, in that match you mentioned. Listen like there was what over 14,000 spectators I think attended Wednesday nights pre-league GA competitions almost 9,000 of uh, those in Dr. McKenna Cup matches there was matches across the country so the appetite is there for from a fan's perspective, you know, I know personally speaking as as a dub, I, I love going to Parnell Park and those cold January nights and, and watching Dublin footballers or hurlers. Like so, the appetites there from uh, the fans. From a management point of view, how do you approach or how did you approach these preseason
5: competitions? Yeah, they carry different dynamics from one year to the other. Um, I suppose that, you know if you look at there's probably about 14 changes in management this year across the country I think something like that in the football scene so look I suppose those managers will be trying to familiarise themselves with the players um, the National League is three weeks down the line so they'll be trying to get the, the you've probably got colleges football going on at the moment they're trying to get fellas face and they're trying to manage the load and um, it's quite a challenging dynamic and you're trying, know, trying to do everything. So, I suppose if you're a new manager in, you're trying to get familiar, um, see what your best fifteen is, and and time it in such a way that um, you hit the wrong one in the first league game. Uh, I suppose most most counties are back five or six weeks. Obviously, with the Christmas interlude, they couldn't play any games before Christmas. I, I believe there's no challenges allowed, mm. so they have to use these matches as a, as you know, as a form of competitive action to see. So this, you know, so every manager will be looking at to see where they're at who's putting their hand up at this point in time then you have other counties you know like when we played Kerry last year in, 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 in the McGrath Cup it was quite a stronger team that Jack put out on the, on the night he wanted to hit the ground running with Kerry and I suppose they hit the ground running that night they didn't stop running until the whole thing was over and uh, you know fair play to them this year you know he's looking at different things you know there's a lot of clubs in Kerry you know the Moors and the Fosses we've got Shane Ryan Palmer and the two Cliffords all tied up so he wants to see other players so it depends on, on where a, a, a county is at a different time and you know it, it, it's, it's there's different dynamics going on um, then you've got the advent of midweek games and you're trying to manage to get players there safely and it's, it's just it's, it's January can be a crazy month you know
0: mm, Very much so I think some counties gone. Which oh, is the guts of seven months without a competitive game, depending on when they would have would have exited the championship last year. You mentioned there the new managers coming in, and I suppose for for someone that's been in the game now long enough, I'm, I'm always interested to see your opinion on what's the biggest challenge for for new managers coming into the intercounty setup, and indeed for more elder statesmen returning to intercounty management. Well, I suppose we take
5: the first one. You know, elder state, if you haven't been kept your finger on the pulse um, and I mean on the pulse um, you'll find that it's moved on massively, so look I did the last six years and I can safely say where it was, when I stopped to where it is now, it's poles apart, it's nearly like the North Pole and so forth they're that diverse, you know, it's just it really is going, moving on year and year, so that's the first challenge and you know, if you're an old codger like me, you're thinking what's it all for and is less more, you know Um but the evolution is all the time going and it's going that direction and it, it's very hard to stop the juggernaut in that sense. You know, um, and obviously managers will get to know the players. You know, when you watch them as 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 a player, you can judge them on their ability or whatnot, but then when you get to know them as a person, now you've got a different view on how they think and how they act and the challenges they've got on a personal level, a professional level, and the whole dynamic changes and you've got to manage that as, as quickly as you've got to manage their ability to get the maximum out of them. So, so, you know, you've got all that going on. Whereas before, if you're just standing from a as a supporter, you're only judging them as a footballer. Now you have the challenge of the personal side of it and the professional side of it to deal with as well. And, you know, if fellas are travelling long hours to get to training is that conducive to getting a performance over the weekend. You've got to balance all that up. So that's that's certainly, you know, the, the, the elder people, you know, the, the new people coming in. If you're within a county, you'll know the culture and you'll know the people if you're coming from outside the county um, you've got to get to know the dynamics within the county you've got to understand the culture that goes on within the county you've got to know who's who um, you've got to get to know people that you know a new management team and county board so there's there's an awful lot um, I mean the, my own example last year we changed one or two of the management team um, Morris Horne came in as a coach and there was a change in f- support and physio and one or two things like nutritionists. And just to manage those people, to integrate them into the management team and get people working. You know, we had Morris working with Adrian. And just to create that dynamic, that takes a lot of energy. Um, it goes unseen. It's not just about the players. It's about to try and manage the management team and make sure they're working in the same dynamic and um, building that relationship. So there's, there's an awful lot going on in, in those initial, I suppose, 10 weeks now maybe before the National League gets up and running.
0: Yeah, certainly uh, a nervous time for management, excuse me, but it will be uh, an exciting time for the fan. Billy Lee, your gentleman, thanks so much uh, for taking the call. Uh, So we are going to be chatting rugby after the break, so stay with us. Hannah Tyrrell will be joining us here in Game On 2FM. RTE 2FM the Harvey Norman Big Sale is now on with deals across our massive range of beds, mattresses and bed linen. Shop our dreamy new range of bed frames in a variety of colours from just one nine nine. Irish made mattresses from as little as one seven nine. Plus stay cosy with the Blake Throw with luxury fleece, now only €25. Euro. And at Harvey Norman, get our best prices guaranteed in-store and online. So why shop anywhere else? The Harvey Norman Big Sale is now on. Don't miss out. No. At Centra, we have
4: great offers in our better-than-half-price
0: sale. Like Centra fresh Irish pork loin roast, one kilo now only six sixty-nine. Robinsons fruit chew four-pack selected range now one eighty-three each, and Nestle Cheerios seven hundred gram now two seventy-five. Smart choices, choose Centra. Centra, live every day. Meet Ross. Wow. A few months back, Ross got a pizza oven, and everything changed. He could tell you the best dough-tossing technique and what? cured meats ranked 1 to 10. But then he got caught up in researching mortgage options. His mind drifted. Pizza was secondary. He even stopped shaming family members who asked for pineapple. That's when a friend put him onto to Doddle, who took on the mortgage stress. Now he's back to obsessing over niche mozzarella farmers in Sicily. Unepically. Give us the mortgage stress and get back to you. Search doddle.ie. Mortgage Horizons Limited Trading as Duddle is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland
5: Hi everyone It's Salo A former 2FM Royce and I is in the purple format at this year's BT Young Scientists and Tech Exhibition
0: Are you coming this year? IT will be there live at the RDS Catch your favorite IT RT RT2FM shows live and show your hand perform performing the weather and even check out some amazing projects
5: ITE at the BT Young Scientists and Tech Exhibition January 12-14 at the RDS ITE. Bringing us
4: closer. Game
0: on, rugby. Now you're very welcome back to Game On as we turn our attention to rugby because the Women's Interprovincial Championship kicks off tomorrow with an exciting double header as Irish rugby's most exciting talent prepared to go head to head in provincial colours at the start of a busy 2023 Ireland head coach Greg McWilliams, no doubt will be keeping a close eye on proceedings over the course of the next three weekends of interprovincial action. The inaugural Women's Celtic Cup competition follows later in January and February and then the eagerly awaited Women's Six Nations gets underway in March and builds towards a climax in late April. But tomorrow, defending Women's Interprovincial Champions Munster open their campaign against Ulster at Musgrave Park and that one is a 4.45 kickoff with head coach Neve Briggs including a host of Ireland internationals and her 34-player squad earlier uh, tomorrow, Tanya Rossers Leinster host Connacht at Energy Park uh, in the opening interprovincial clash. That one kicks off at two thirty, and I'm delighted to say Hannah Tyrrell joins me now to preview both matches. Hannah, how are you? I'm good,
4: Shane. Thanks.
5: How
0: are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Who better to preview than a former Ireland rugby uh, star and Leinster star as well? In current daily Dublin Gaelic. Uh, footballer. So, Hannah, uh, as I mentioned there, it all kicks off tomorrow, the return of Interprovincial Action. Just how competitive and how big of an event is this Interpro series?
4: Yeah, look, I think it's a really good opportunity for a lot of players. Uh, as you mentioned, the the Celtic Cup competition, first of its kind, kicking off after this. So I know a lot of players after a big AAL season will be hoping, you know, to put in some big performances and catch the eye of the likes of Greg McWilliams and you know, hopefully doing well in in this interprovincial tournament. And then, you know, um, hopefully again in the Celtic Cup, they'll be putting their hand up for selection for a green jersey come the Six Nations. So there's, you know, a big run of games and a big opportunity for a lot of players who maybe feel like, you know, over the last year that they haven't been in Greg McWilliams' plans or they haven't got uh, as many opportunities maybe as they would like, you know, that here's a chance for them to get more minutes under their belt and... It should be a great opportunity. I loved uh, playing in the Interpros. You know, there's that great bit of rivalry um, amongst the provinces while also, you know, so many players play for um, clubs in Dublin and then play for provinces outside of Dublin. So there is that kind of mix of familiarity but also competitiveness. So we should have a a couple of weeks of really good rugby and um, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I know all um, four provinces were out on media duty during the week. And I think it was Hannah O'Connor who really mentioned as well. It's like you're playing against your best of mates, but nothing will be given. It'll be full, full, uh, full scale combat.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, a lot of these players are playing. And particularly you look at the likes of Hannah O'Connor, who's, you know, uh, been part of an Ireland back row and She's been in Ned squads uh, the last couple of years. She'd be looking to Greg as a more senior member of that Irish squad to really nail down a position at number eight there. But, you know, we look at some of the other back rows in the country and some of the younger, uh, up and coming players, the likes of Mavo, Mavo, Goliary. And, uh, for Munster, Dervla Nickovard, uh, has had a bit of a resurgence this year with All Belvedere and she will be looking to force her way back into, to Greg McWilliams plans. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of talent out there. It's just about finding it and, and getting them in a green jersey.
0: Absolutely. you nursing that talent. And hopefully this is the perfect springboard. Talk to me about Munster then. So, head coach Neve Briggs um, has named out half Nicole Cronin as captain. There's 11 players named, um, <coughs> excuse me, on Saturdays, starting 15, which were involved in last season's title winning interprovincial series. So, are, are Munster the team to catch?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Look, they were obviously worthy winners last year. And, you know, and when you look at their squad, they have a... A wealth and depth of talent, uh, even if you just look straight to the replacements bench and they have Ireland international, Chloe Pierce on the bench, you know, and then being able to have stalwarts like Fiona Reading and, um, you know, Kate Sheehan, but I think their back row is where they are going to excel, where they have Dorothy Wall, Maeve Ogle, Leary and Dervil and you know, it's the strongest back row that any team has named, you know, and they have a potent force there, but you have the likes of Nicole Cronin who got injured on that Japan tour, but her resurgence when she came back to UL Bowes really helped propel them up into a top four finish. And she's kind of a bright spark for them. She's well able to lead uh, her forward pack around, but also uh, is well able to get the ball out to her dangerous backs. You see the likes of Aoife Doyle and Laura Sheen on the wings uh, for Munster and obviously Enya Breen, who had been doing a job for Black Rocket 10, just shifts out to centre. And, and they definitely are the team to beat. They've massive depth there. They've workhorses uh, in the forward team. And um, you know, tomorrow's not the game where we're going to see them at their best. You know, Ulster won't pose too much of a challenge, I don't think, but I am really looking forward to the tasty clash of uh, munster Lancer and I do think that'll obviously be uh, where we'll see the winner of uh, this Interprovincial series.
0: Yeah, munster Lancer meeting on January 14th uh, in Musgrave Park twelve fifteen, 15 kick-off. So what will we expect from Ulster then? Like I know yeah, we will get to Leinster and I want to kind of tease out that and you mentioned the, the strength and depth that Munster have and Connick perhaps have, have a few uh, young stars that I want to talk about as well but what will Ulster bring to this competition and what challenge
4: will they pose for Munster? I think for Ulster, you know, obviously over the years, they've really been hampered by a lot of their players who, um, you know, ended up switching to another province. You look at the likes of Larissa Muldoon or Nikki Cahey kind of leaving them. So a big thing for Ulster and, and even just clubs in Ulster at the minute is trying to get that depth and talent and keeping them in clubs in Ulster. And then obviously wanting to represent Ulster regardless of maybe where they're playing their club rugby or where they're living. And uh, a big boost for them this year is Ella Durkin, who is uh, playing at 10 tomorrow. You know, she'll be a great playmaker for them, but she had a fantastic season, her first season with BlackRock this year, as they claimed the AIL title. Um, you know, and she's just been in, in um, fantastic form for them. And she'll be a real, real leader for them, along with Beth Cregan, who uh, is playing at Hooker tomorrow. You know, they need those kind of big game players to... To step up for them and do the simple things right but I suppose for Ulster you know they'll just want to be trying to put in a good performance and nearly almost be at damage control against Munster and you don't want any team going into a game thinking that but um, realistically when we're looking at both teams you know for Ulster it'll be just can they execute the basic things they've been working on and can their defence kind of shore up a little bit and not let Munster run riot
0: uh, Leinster Connacht so Half to Energy of Park Leinster co-captained by Hannah O'Connor and Chrissy Haney returning to uh, Energy of Park to see in the course of their All-Ireland League final win with Black Rock College last month so um, is this another one where it's a case of not who will win but by how many
4: um Yeah, like I would hope it wouldn't be a a heavy-handed defeat and that would end up being quite a competitive game, but it is hard to look past Leinster in this regard. You know, uh, the squad that Tanya Rosser has uh, put out there and even the starting 15 is quite formidable and it's littered with, um, you know, Irish internationals and many players have um, previous Leinster experience. So it is hard to look past them, but, you know, Connacht themselves have their own um, couple of players full of experience, the likes of... uh, Laura Feely obviously, has been around the Irish for a long time. Uh, Ex-Internationals Mary Healy and Nicole Fowley at 9 and 10 will be massive there. And Shannon Toohey at 12 has kind of got something to prove a little bit. She was in and out of Irish squads and she kind of finds herself on the fringes. So, I don't think this will be a walkover for Leinster, but I I do think Leinster will win and they have some really, really exciting talents. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Anna Doyle on the wing, who played a starring role for Black Rock. Um, Last week or last month in, in the NRG AL finals, I'd really love to see her get a good crack. But um, I, I think it'll be a really, really exciting game. Um, but I do think Leinster will, will get the victory and, and fairly easily. And again, we'll be hoping to come through that relatively unscathed and, and be able to put up a big fight against Munster the week after.
0: The green jersey of Connacht, a lot of teenagers in their 37-player uh, squad. So is it fair to say they're, they're certainly an emerging side?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great thing to see. You know, we're always talking about uh, the future of Irish rugby. And, you know, this is where we want to see these young players come through and and be blooded in these competitions and and see can any of them grasp their chance and and step up to the mark. You know, you look at someone like um, Bavin Parsons all those years ago playing for Ireland at just 16. You know, she obviously was an exceptional talent. And even someone like um, Maeve Dealey, you know, she's been incredible uh, and been in great form for and BlackRock Rock, and um, for her like to be within that Connor squad, so she, she's she's an an inspiration, I suppose, for those other younger players, and along with the likes of Babe and Avian Riley, who's currently injured. Like, if they can aspire and and be like them, you know, that will only help the development of Irish rugby, and and that's what we need. We need to see these young talents playing at these high levels and see can they cope with the demands and the pressure of it.
0: Are you in a positive spirit then for the the future of of women's Irish rugby now for the year ahead? <laughs>
4: Yeah, look, having watched a lot of uh, this year's AAL, there's absolutely the talent out there and there, there's efforts been made to put in the right pathways and the structures to get the best uh, talents out there and get them playing for Ireland. Um, whether we see that happen and whether we do get, you know, these players playing in a uh, senior irish international it remains to be seen but i am very hopeful and i would like to be positive and and, and hope that things are going in the right direction and that uh, you know the only way is up for for irish rugby and that the future can look quite good for us
0: Okay, great stuff. Hannah Terrell, former Irish and Leinster star and current Dublin Gaelic footballer, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. As we mentioned, Leinster Connacht tomorrow, half two in Energia Park. Munster Ulster tomorrow, quarter five in Musgrave Park. If you're in the area, get down. Should be two cracking matches as the Women's Interprovincial Championship kicks off.
3: Game on. Rugby. Okay.